today on Act News Daily. U.S. farmers are up to the challenge. You know, we've been focusing on how we can produce a better, more robust crop for generations now. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here back on the Ag News Daily Podcast, coming at you from Washington, D.C., joined by my co-hosts, Mike Pearson and Madison Honkamp. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. How are things out in Washington, D.C. today? They are good. I've eaten a lot of seafood, a lot of fresh seafood, oysters, crab, etc. I'm feeling good. Well, good. Good. It's good to support the other uh, the other meats in the pantheon of yeah quality proteins, but it'll be nice for you, I imagine, to get back and have some good You know, steak. it will. You just can't get fresh seafood like this out in Iowa, so I feel like I've got to eat it while I'm here. All right. All right. Yeah, okay. All right. We'll, we'll accept that. All right. But of course, topped, like last night we had a really good dinner, some seafood on top of our steaks. Oh, a little surf and turf. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's the best way to roll. Absolutely. Madison, how about you? What do you got going on? I am just been going to class still. <laughs> uh, we actually have highway cleanup tonight for my sorority, so that's going to be really fun. Well, good. That is fun. Giving back to the community yeah. is a great thing to yes. do. Yeah, it's one of our philanthropy events. So Nice. Well, while you were doing that, I'm going to be sitting in a hot tub, <laughs> so I uh, will be thinking about you. Oh. You know, while you're out doing good for the community, I will, I will not be. Of course. <laughs> well, I tell you what, guys, we've got a great conversation to play for today's episode. But before we get into it, we got to get through the news and the markets. So, Delaney, what's on your radar today? Yes, we do have to get through all of that stuff. I don't know if you guys talked about it too much yesterday, but Secretary Purdue was in Decatur, Illinois, for the Farm Progress Show. I've seen tweets and stories, reports that President Trump called him during the middle of a roundtable that he was presenting at and said that there will be good news coming out on the RFS very soon. He called Purdue during this roundtable just to reaffirm it and so Purdue could reaffirm it to those folks in the audience. Definitely dealing with those small refinery waivers. We don't yet know what that's going to be, though. Well, we kind of have an indication because we did get a tweet from the president this morning about this very issue. And I'm going to read the tweet in full because it is kind of funny, I think. Okay, tell us. Here's what he said this morning. So this is reportedly the announcement of the announcement to be. Um, basically, it's the pre-engagement is what we're talking about here. This is from President Donald Trump this morning at about 8 o'clock Eastern time. He said, quote, the farmers are going to be so happy when they see what we are doing for ethanol, not even including the E15 year-round, which is already done. It will be a giant package. Get ready. At the same time, I was able to save the small refineries from certain closing. Great for all, exclamation point, end quote. That was his tweet. I think the trade was anticipating something a little more formative, maybe something like with a plan. And um, we didn't see the same response today in the markets that we saw yesterday after uh, Secretary Purdue made the announcement of the pending announcement. So we'll see what actually comes out of the White House as this thing, uh, you know, I guess, moves forward. Okay. Well, it sounds like Secretary Purdue also made some executive decisions to investigate widening prices between cattle and beef on Wednesday. I'm not positive he announced it at the Farm Progress show. It could be very possible. It doesn't 
quote that directly, but he said that after the recent fires happening at the Tyson Foods Slaughterhouse in Holcomb, Tech, Holcomb, Kansas, that cattle prices needed to be examined a little closer to see what's going on between the packers and what the prices are that the farmers have been getting. Okay. Well, you know, if we've got the Packers and Stockyards Act, I suppose that's what it's there for. So let's do the investigation. Yeah. And this is crazy. I didn't, I mean, I knew profits were really large for Packers right now, but profit margins for Packers are above $400 per head of slaughtered cattle, which is up from around $150 before the fire. Yeah. And the week right after the fire, they spiked as high as $570 per head. Which is why the the market had the incentive to continue to pull cattle forward, and we saw kills only drop about 5,000 head this last week. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes the the market has to put a huge margin in there in order to keep things current. And if you're raising cattle, we should be thankful, like, in a way, the packers had that margin, so we're not backing cattle up out in feed yards. Yes, that is true. Well, but we'll see what happens with this investigation. If there's anything nefarious, it's always good to get it out in the light. That it is, Mike. Well, Madison, how about you? You got any news stories you're watching today? Well, I have one thing going along with Trump today actually announced a plan to cut back on the regulation of methane emissions, which has been seen at to a has been seen as a huge contrib- contributor to climate change. Um the EPA proposed to they're really they're aiming to eliminate all federal requirements that oil and gas companies install technology to detect and fix methane links from wells, pipelines, and storage facilities. But it will reopen the question of whether the EPA really has the legal authority to regulate methane as a pollutant. And this rollback is particularly notable because major energy companies have really spoken out against it joining ranks of automakers, electric utilities, and other industrial giants that have really opposed other administration initiative to dismantle the climate change and environmental rules. So this is something we'll be watching, watching, kind of see how this all plays out. But I do know President Trump is going more towards removing what he sees as the unnecessary and kind of duplicate duplicative regulatory issues that we have for a lot of um the oil and gas industry hmm okay interesting well we'll just have to mm-hmm. see if you know they have the authority yeah definitely All right. Well, speaking of having the authority, the USDA now has the authority, thanks to the 2018 Hemp Farming Act, to regulate the testing of the crop. And uh, it is expected that USDA will announce the rules for growing and testing here this fall, just in time for the 2020 growing season. Um, Senator Ron Wyden, who was one of the sponsors of this act, along with uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, have said this thing is is coming we've got farmers ready to rock and roll but states and tribes are the primary regulators or the primary enforcement arms of the regulations so the federal government's going to release their regulations this fall then the states and tribes will be able to submit their plans for how to work with hemp in their borders uh, once those regulations are out so hemp making progress 
That it is. Another thing that's been making progress has been the meatless meat or cell-cultured meat. I've got two quick updates on that. We talked about it earlier this week how KFC has released their plant-based chicken in Atlanta in a one-day trial. It is completely run out. I was so surprised when I read this headline, but apparently they've had a lot of people that were waiting in line to try this, what they call, quote, delicacy. Um, And even further than that, we've also seen some companies working on growing meat, poultry, and seafood products from animal cells have formed a new coalition called the Alliance for Meat, Poultry, and Seafood Innovation, or AMPS for short, to represent those industry interests in Washington, D.C., and lobbying and beyond. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. You get an industry that's growing, you got to set up a shop in D.C. and start lobbying. I guess so. Um, Okay, so I was thinking, so I had real fried chicken for lunch, and it was delicious. And I had a hot sauce on it, and the hot sauce was delicious. And I got to tell you, I don't see how any meatless meat thing can compete to real fried chicken. I just, I don't get it. I don't know. I I, I have this notion in my head that it would taste rubbery. I don't know why. Because it would be probably rubbery. You know what? If I were creating, if I were KFC and I were creating a meatless meat chicken, you know what I would call it? What? Frickin'. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be so frickin' disappointed. <laughs> oh that's, that's pretty good, actually. I know it's good. I should, I should be in marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of marketing, we've got the Chinese doing some marketing ahead of these proposed tariffs that are going into effect on Sunday. China's commerce minister said earlier today that he's really hoping, or not he, the Chinese government, is really hoping that President Trump will pull these tariffs before they go into effect in order to, quote, create an amenable atmosphere for these trade talks to continue. Uh, it sounds, though, the Chinese are saying, hey, look, if you put these tariffs into place, we might not be willing to renegotiate or, or begin negotiations again, which, uh, of course, they've been planning for for about five weeks now. So we'll just have to see who's got uh, the stick to to maintain. Okay. That we will. So, any other news stories are jumping out at you, Delaney Howell? I have nothing else, Mike Pearson. Madison Honkamp, any other news stories? Nope, not today. All right, well, I just have one quick one. Bayer has announced they are going to be spending um, about a little more than $6 million, uh, plus grants directed to rural school districts to help fund 4-H and national FFA organizations um, develop more youth programming in high schools, which I think is pretty cool. That is really cool. That's great to see them giving back. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I thought we, it was worth giving them a shout-out. They say it's a multi-year mm-hmm. plan, but I don't know how many years this is going to take. So it's a multi-million dollar, multi-year plan, and uh, there we go. Hopefully we'll get some some more resources into the hands of future farmers for uh, our future. I'm trying not to go with, you know, future farmers of America. That is FFA. It was catchy, though, Mm -hmm. that they did that. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, if we are out of news, then let's jump into the markets today. And we had mixed trade in mixed trade rather in the grains with the September corn contract down three cents at three fifty nine and three quarters. December up a quarter penny to finish at three seventy one and a quarter. In soybeans, the September was up three and a half cents at eight fifty six and a quarter. November up two and three quarters, closed the day at eight sixty eight and a half. And in the wheat market, Chicago wheat September was down two and a half cents at four sixty nine and three quarters. The December also dropped two and a half cents to finish the day at four seventy two and three quarters. Livestock, a little bit of green on the day here as we look at the live cattle complex. The October was up sixty cents at ninety nine eighty. December up seventeen and a half, finished at one oh four twenty five. In feeder cattle, the September contract up fifty five cents, closing at one thirty three forty. The October up thirty five cents, closing at one thirty one ninety seven fifty. In lean hogs, we are up across the board. The October contract was up a dollar forty at sixty four ninety. December closed higher by a dollar ninety five at sixty five sixty five. And of course, for our friends in the dairy business, in class three milk, we had the September contract climb eleven cents to seventeen fifty eight, and the October up nine, wrapping up the day at seventeen sixty two. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to in our interview for today's episode? Well, last week or two weeks ago, maybe now, we chatted with Jay Hill, a farmer down in Texas area, about the Project 30 Harvests put on by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Now we're going to learn about the science behind that movement today with Megan Kaiser of Perry Agricultural Laboratory. Well, last week we had a discussion with Jay Hill, who is one farmer trying to resolve this carbon footprint issue. Today we're looking at the science behind that with Megan Kaiser, who is a farmer and also a soil scientist at Perry Agricultural Laboratory. Megan, tell us a little bit about your role as a soil scientist. What issues and what things are you focusing on primarily within that role? At our laboratory, as you said, at Perry Agricultural Laboratory, we're we're located here in Bowling Green, Missouri, and uh, we work with farmers all over the world. And what we really focus on is using the chemistry that we learn in our lab from the soil tests to indicate where we can make improvements um, so that we improve the soil structure, improving the uh, aggregate stability, the airspace, the water holding capacity, and that stimulates the biological activity by having a place for those microbes to live. And in turn, those microbes then improve our nutrient turnover. And so we, we really focus on that entire cycle uh, just by the chemistry that we do at the lab. And um, you know, ultimately, that helps us have healthier soils, healthier production, and be better stewards of the land. Absolutely. And that's going to be even more vital here as you look at the theme of 30 harvests, just this idea that we have to feed so many people by the year 2050. From your perspective, Megan, what should farmers be doing from a soil perspective? We know that we're not getting any more farm ground than what's already out there. If if nothing else, we're losing it. How do they ensure that the ground that they have under their management practices allows us to be able to produce that huge amount of food that the world is going to need here. Right. I think um, U.S. farmers are up to the challenge. You know, we've been focusing on how we can produce a better, more robust crop for uh, generations now. Um, And we do see a little bit 
more every year of land transitioning out of, of croppable acreage into other uses. And so it is a concern. As a farmer, it's also a concern that land isn't any cheaper today and it won't be any cheaper tomorrow. So every acre that we farm, we want to make sure that we're managing it in the most sustainable manner, not only um, ecologically, but also financially. And so we have to make sure that we are using our, our precision agriculture to put the right seed on the right soil, prepare the soil in the most efficient way, um, and then also that helps us be better stewards of the land. And one of the things that we keep hearing about to be better stewards of the land is to work on carbon capture and carbon sequestration. Can you explain to us in layman's terms what that is and why should farmers care or, or work to do that or implement that on their own operations? One of my favorite things that I think people realize we're doing but don't understand the entire climate implication is that when we produce biodiesel from soybeans, we are creating a fuel that people very much need. It's a, a much um, lower emitting fuel when it's burned in a vehicle. Um, and that when we actually burn that um, biodiesel in a truck, um, it's actually recaptured. That carbon is recaptured by our next soybean crop. And so we have a carbon cycle, and that's called biogenic carbon. And it sounds like a big fancy word just to say that we're not releasing new carbon from the earth. Um, we're actually just utilizing that carbon. And, and when um, soybeans are used, sequestering that carbon back out of the air, and then we use that for our next fuel source, it's a pretty amazing thing that we have right here in the heartland of the U.S. And you also have a really interesting role. Not only are you a soil scientist and you get to work on things like this, but you also serve on the United Soybean Board. Tell us about how your role as a soil scientist got you to that to that place. And are you the first woman from Missouri to serve on that board? Did I read that correctly? <laughs> yes, I, I think that is a, a yes, it's been said before. Uh, but actually, the reason I am um, honored enough to be able to sit on the board is that my husband and I are farmers too. And so the United Soybean Board is made up of 73 farmer leaders um, from all over the United States. And the, the seats on the board are determined by the um, production of each state. And so um, what we do on the board is we guide the checkoff dollars and, and checkoff is so important to us because not only are we um, able to kind of look at research and development and, and looking at new um, new genetics and, and uh, practice or management practices we might want to utilize on the farm on the supply side, but the checkoff allows us as individual farmers to be part of something much bigger where we're driving our own international demand, that we have these um, teams in, uh, in other areas trying to build demand um, and help us diversify our markets internationally and, and domestically and finding new industrial uses. And that's one of the really exciting parts about soybeans that I'm very proud of um, is that we're looking for ways that we can help replace a lot of petroleum-based products um, by using uh, soy oil uh, to, uh, you know, maybe potentially replace plastics, uh, things that are polluting our oceans and having a longer time to break down, that maybe there's a huge potential that not only are we sequestering carbon, but the products that we're producing on our farm might also help replace some of those um, longer-term issues uh, like, you know, plastics in the ocean. And so... 
I'm sure this is maybe going to be interesting to hear what some of our listeners say about this, but there's been a divide in agriculture too, Megan, with, with folks believing in climate change and that we need to change the way we're doing some of the practices on the farm with those who believe that, you know, it's just a hoax that the government made up from your perspective. I don't want to ask you if climate change is, is real from your perspective necessarily, but I guess what is what are the, the solutions out there that we should be doing to make sure that we're not necessarily contributing more to the potential effects of climate change? Yeah, I absolutely understand that. I know that, um, you know, there, there might be a lot of skepticism out there. And, and you know, honestly, I, I guess I see it more as this is an opportunity to let agriculture shine and, and show the potential of being an answer and the fact that we're already making major advances in climate smart production practices because that's, that's sustainable for our farm and I, we're not alone. You know, we know farmers all over and sometimes we think farmers may not realize how, how um, climate smart they are, that we all try to reduce the numbers of runs over the field, not just because we want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions while we produce our crop, but because it's financially more sustainable to reduce that and to reduce the compaction um, every time we go across. I mean, we're always looking for better ways to be more efficient. And I think um, this is a time that we can shine in the fact that farmers are very careful in everything that we do with our inputs. Um, and that this is a great story that we can tell that um, maybe people didn't know about us and maybe sometimes farmers didn't look at it in that perspective either. And so I don't think it has to be a debate about climate change as much as talking about here are all the ways that we are continually improving and here are ways that we could be a solution to problems that others um, perceive. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So, Megan, let me ask you, too, the docudrama that the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance is putting together, that 30 Harvests docudrama, mm -hmm. is that really the goal of what you're sharing on that series? Is is this idea that we're not necessarily combating climate change, but we're just changing practices to maybe be more financially and economically and environmentally savvy producers? I think what I'm saying is that we're combating climate change and, and we're not adding to the problem. And in a lot of ways, we are helping offset other people who, who would be adding to that problem. And that's kind of the message in 30 Harvest. I think there's also another message of hope. Um, you know, this year has been incredibly difficult for most farmers in the U.S. Uh, we just had really difficult weather situations for over a year now. Um, I look at this time last year, our farm was in a very severe drought. And then, um, but this year we don't have much of a farm left after uh, we've been flooded by the Missouri River um, all summer long. Uh, we, we lost all the corn that we planted and never really got a chance to plant the soybeans. So um, I like this movie not only because it highlights the benefits of agriculture and the need for agriculture, but it really kind of inspired me and, and made me realize that we have, you know, an, a humanitarian imperative to continue to farm and to farm smarter and better every year. And, um, you know, it, it was a difficult year that made you question everything of, um, you know, when you don't have a harvest this year, it's, um, it's pretty dramatic. Um, and so I, I feel like this movie, this film, I hope it spoke to other 
agriculturalists who were struggling this year too, as we were all trying to make good decisions for our families, that um, maybe this will help other people realize that we have something much bigger than just ourselves that we're responsible for as stewards of the land and um, just, you know, keep the faith and try again next year. Absolutely. And, and Megan, when you look at next year, obviously, as you mentioned there, we've had a really unique year this year. Some producers didn't get a crop planted. Some maybe got a cover crop planted at most. What should they be thinking about from a soil health and nutrient management standpoint for next year's growing season to ensure that they can get a good crop in weather permitting next year? Yeah, that's, weather permitting has been the uh, the big crux of everything, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess every farm is different. And so it's very hard to say, here's what people should be doing. Um, but I'll tell you what we're doing on our farm is that we are using the baselines that we had established through um, soil fertility and, and uh, topography maps in the past. And we're kind of retesting things and making doing spot checks and then also then more intensely grid sampling um, to see where we are to see what we're going to have to change and to prepare the ground again for next year Um, but you know every every farm is different and so what I encourage everyone to do um, is that you can't manage it if you don't test it and so the first thing is to kind of reestablish your baseline see where you are now um, and and then that'll help you make better decisions moving forward because in an economy like this, every penny counts. And so, um, you know, establishing a, a good baseline and, and knowing where you are will help you get to where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Megan Kaiser of Bowling Green, Missouri, thank you so much for taking the time to share some insight with us today. Well, again, a big thank you there to Megan chatting a little bit about her work and what she does behind the scenes. Really interesting stuff with this carbon movement, I tell you what. It is. I mean, it creates an opportunity there for for folks in rural America. We're using the ground anyway. We're already sequestering carbon. If we can find a way to get paid for it, let's do it. That's right. Well... I would tell you what, if you listeners want to find something to listen to while you are tilling that soil or planting your crops and sequestering that carbon, you can always listen to the Ag News Daily podcast. You can listen to our past episodes by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com. And you can also listen to us and a lot of other podcasters that are connected to the global ag network, of which we are very proud to be a part. And I would also say we are on social media. We are on Facebook Instagram and Twitter. Search for us at Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.